News from people you trust. This week we're looking ahead to the June 9 primaries with interviews with candidates from South Carolina seat 3, House Districts 8 and 10. And also talk to the Southeast Regional Director for Census 2020 about how Anderson County ranks in the census statewide and compared to other places around the country and also about how important the census is. This podcast is brought to you by the Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill, Anderson's finest fine dining establishment for more than 20 years. You remember when Bill Nickus decided to launch Sullivan's in downtown Anderson? He kicked off a renaissance of downtown, which was really largely abandoned at the time. And in the years since, Sullivan's has been named America, one of America's top 100 restaurants by Open Table, and they have people driving to visit there from Atlanta, Charlotte, all over the place. And during this time, they've had to-go-only menus, but now they're serving inside and outside on the street with tables on the street, patio dining. And it is really great if you haven't been down there lately. Sullivan's has continued to offer their excellent menu. And I hope you're taking advantage of all their specials they've had during this time. And when things return to normal, don't forget Sullivan's Caters offers white tablecloth catering, a fine food at 10 pan food prices. And Sullivan's has been a longtime sponsor of the Anderson Reserver podcast. And Bill Nickus is a good friend of mine. I appreciate their support for local journalism and local information. But for more information on Sullivan's, visit Sullivan's, Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill on Facebook, or you can visit their Sullivan's Metro Grill online as their website. It has been another great week in Anderson. Uh, as the days continue to get longer, people are out and about in Christmas holiday numbers as they venture out looking for a new definition of normal. And we're barely past Memorial Day, Memorial Day, the lakes and the parks and all were jammed up with people and not particularly distant from each other. The unemployment numbers, though, are sobering. Anderson County posted a near-record unemployment of 12.6%. I think we hit around 13% back in 2008 during the downturn, but it's continuing to tick upward. It'll probably pass that before we're over with. And, of course, this is due to the shutdowns, layoffs, and slowdowns. And that means that nearly 12,000 members of our county's workforce are unemployed, and only time will tell if we are on the edge of an economic cliff or on the verge of a nervous breakthrough or when things may or may not improve. But in the meantime, the world keeps on spinning, and we're going to keep talking about what's going on and what's important to Anderson County. Uh, you did notice some of the recent rains we've had and caused some serious issues at three of Anderson County's wastewater sites due to a pump failure, but those repairs were done relatively fast in spite of some areas getting as much as nine inches of rain in less than 24 hours. Can't compare it and complain about drought right now. The lakes are up, water's full, and everybody's ready to get back outside uh, and get back to normal. Talking about getting back to normal, the library here in Anderson County has announced plans to reopen all its branches June 1st with some new guidelines in place to assure social distancing and healthy uh, practices. You can still do curbside pickup of books and other materials if you want to call in and pick something up. And if you still don't have a library card and don't want to get out, you can get a digital library card online and download books, movies, music, audiobooks, all sorts of things. You can visit the Anderson County Library's Facebook page for more information or just search for them on Google. Uh, like I said, the parks are open and they have been jam-packed. And Anderson County was recently featured for one of our parks in the National Park Service uh, magazine and online thing talking about our pioneering efforts at the county and the American Disability Act access to the Saluda River, the Saluda Blue River Trails efforts. We're going to update some information on that and the, the belt in place and some of the other things about the Blue River Trail here in the next couple of weeks on the podcast. So stay, stay tuned for that. 
and it is the end of school for a lot of folks. And four out of the five county school districts have scheduled graduation ceremonies with District 5 trying to decide now what to do. Um, they're the only district that hasn't scheduled graduation. If you've missed it, uh, Anderson School District 1 graduations are set for June 5th at 10 a.m. at the high school football stadium, both of them. Well, District 2's uh, graduation ceremonies are set for June 4th at 10 a.m. at Marley Gambrell Field. Uh, Anderson School District 3 is scheduled graduation for June 11th at 10 a.m. at New Spring Church here at Anderson. And Anderson School District 4 has graduation set for June 12th at 6.30 p.m. at Irv Cunningham Football Stadium. Most of these have a rain date. You might want to check their Facebook pages for the most up-to-date information on that. All the districts are, are promising social distancing and limiting the number of guests to two per graduate unless something changes between now and graduation date to follow all the safety guidelines. Uh, Clemson University is already announcing plans for a three-phase uh, schedule that hopes to get all students and staff back on campus by the fall. This plan is subject to change. The president sent out a letter and some other things about that, but um, they're hoping to, they're moving in phase one now, and they're hoping to have everything back to normal by fall. They also, up at Clemson, released a study this week, though, that found more than 75% of South Carolina citizens still have concerns about the coronavirus, and more than half of those were somewhat uh, worried or extremely worried about coming back. Uh, and the Meals on Wheels Senior Food Distribution continues with sites in Anderson, Iva, Pendleton, and Piedmont. You can visit Meals on Wheels Anderson Facebook page or the Anderson Observer News from People You Trust for the website and the dates and times for that. It continues through the 5th of June, so if you know any senior citizens who need any food that can't get out, you can pick it up for them, or if they can get out, you can give them that information. But the political season is almost upon us here. It's well underway with the June 9th GOP primary, and there are a number of seats being challenged in this primary. And my goal here on the Anderson Observer podcast, news from people you trust, is to interview all the candidates who are challenged in these races right here. And this week I talked to several candidates in three races. The first race I interviewed folks for was the South Carolina House Seat 10, which encompasses part of Anderson, Greenville, and Pickens County. And incumbent Wes Cox and challenger Mark Durham are the two who are running for that, case, that seat, and the winner will run unopposed in November. I talked to both candidates, beginning with the incumbent, Wes Cox. The, the first thing is just remind people again, we, you and I have talked in the past about this, remind people why you decided to run for public office, because it's not like uh, you don't have other things to do. What made you make this decision, and, and what has it been like since, since, the, since you ran last time? So I decided to run because I've always wanted to give back to my community. I've always wanted to serve my community. And when I found out the seat was going to be open, I thought that it was a great opportunity for me to use my skills and to use my God-given talents to try and better serve my community. And so that's really why I wanted to run is to serve. And over the last two years, I feel like I have done that. I feel like I have served the community. And, and I want to continue to do that. Let's sign up and do it for two more years. We've made a lot of great progress on, on issues and on community services. And I just want to try and see what we can get done in the next two years. And so that's are, really the, the crux of it is, is community service. What, what are the biggest challenges facing the House here in the next couple of years? So two, two things really overarching challenges. Uh, one is the economy. Uh, the South Carolina economy was roaring, and then COVID-19 happened, and, and so the government shut down businesses, but also just the, the world economy slowed. The, the world economy had an effect on supply chains around the country, around the world that shut down businesses. So we've got to 
We've got to, um, and a slowdown tax revenue. So we've got to make sure that we're spending money wisely. We're spending money on the things that we need to be spending on, and that we're also keeping the state in found, sound financial position. You know, one of the one of the really great things about South Carolina that a lot of other states can't say is we are in sound financial position, and we were before this. Uh, we had low debt. We we send a lot of money to tax back to taxpayers every year in our budget and and we we build up a huge amount of reserves every year which is great i'd like to see those increased but we build those up uh, so that we are in a sound financial position the the other sort of um second sort of issue is is education reform and and changing that and changing some things in the classrooms you know and i think eventually we will get to a place in south carolina where the kid is first. That's who we talk about first when we talk about education is that child that's in that classroom. If we can start to do that and if we can start to implement policies that have the kid first in mind, then we can we can change some of the the thought process around education in South Carolina. There are, there are schools that you can get a world-class education in uh, right here in, in District 10 and, and in other parts of South Carolina. And then there's, there's places where you... You know, you'd be ashamed to to have children go to. And so we've got to bring those others up to the standard that we have in our community and, and everything. And, and finding out how to do that. There's not a one there's not a one page answer to that. There's not a one, you know, stroke at that at that ball to to fix everything magically overnight. It's gonna be something that's gonna you know, it's a decades-long progress, but if we if we continue towards that and keep the child first in mind, then, then I think we'll eventually get there. What about the challenges of health care, both physical and mental health care in South Carolina in the, in the ne- next couple of years? Yeah, those are those are going to be tremendous. We've seen through the the COVID nineteen pandemic just how. Um, you know all the underlying health conditions uh, that that many people in South Carolina have, and also mental health issues that that have come about. And so we've got to we've got to really look at the government services that are provided and ensure that those services are actually meeting the needs of the citizens that need them. And then we've also got to look at um, private services and how can we. You know, are there regulations that are that are affecting the private um, care and and them being able to deliver services? Are there ways that we can help them better? Can we take a look at our insurance system to um, to provide more services or to look at ways to cut costs, regulation costs from them? You know, those are sort of the things that the government can do. And then also, just providing healthy spaces in our community. You know, and and in Powersville, in my district, we've got Dolly Cooper Park. That's a great space. We're trying to build it out and, and do things and have a healthy space in that community. In Piedmont, we've got Compact Park. We're working on some other things. You know, these are the types of things that government can do. I mean, government can't tell you, you know, how to take care of your health, but but we can make sure that the services that you need from government, mental health, things of that nature, are operating and functioning correctly. And what are the most common questions you get from people that know you're running again and know you're down there? What What are the most common questions you're getting from people? Yeah, the, the number one issue that I that I face is roads, or that I hear about is roads. 
And so we, you know, paving is being done in Anderson County. Paving is being done throughout District 10. We've got bridges in, in Greenville County in my district that are being repaired. We've got paving that's going on right now on Highway 8 in my district. 80, Highway 81 is coming. We've got interchange changes being re, realigned to make it safer. That's the number one thing. The, the second thing is, is really this kind of a, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing in Columbia? And, you know, that's a, that's a question you can get 130 <laughs> different answers for. But for me, what I'm doing is going down there and making sure that the problems we're addressing are actually being fixed by the legislation that we're trying to pass and, and not, you know, just having superfluous ideas, um, Going to Columbia is more is just as much about playing defense about against bad ideas as it is offense for good ideas. Um, and the final question is, um, what else do people need to know about you that I haven't asked? What else do you want people to know about you and why you're involved in all this? Yeah, so I'm I am I'm Anderson County grown and um, grew up in Williamston. I have a law office in Williamston. We live in Piedmont now. I have a wife, Caroline, a little boy. Um, I went to Clemson, went to law school in, in Columbia, and came back home. Um, had other opportunities, but came back home to to Anderson County to serve this community, to to work every day as a lawyer and helping people in this community. And then, you know, that this is an extension of that by being able to to serve serve the public here. Uh, we're working on. You know, one thing that is that I've really prided myself on is bringing certain government services to Powdersville and to that part of my district that, that haven't had them before. Um, we've got a Veterans Affairs, the Anderson County Veterans Affairs Office is open and available in the, in the Powdersville Library one day a week. We've done that since I've been in office. We've got in-person absentee voting for the first time ever in Powdersville. We've done that since I got in office, and I led the charge on that. Um, before the pandemic, we were going to have the DMV was going to open up a satellite office to help people with their real IDs in Powersville. We've done that. I'm in talks of getting with getting the treasurer's office to come up and do a unclaimed funds day up there to help people with with state unclaimed funds and those types of things. Um, yeah, we're meeting constantly with DOT and. GPATs and, and transportation organizations about the funding and the needs of District 10. So we're we're really trying to. I mean, one of the things I'm really trying to work on is get a focus on Powersville, focus focus on District 10, and get government services up there. And we've we've been successful in that, and we're just going to continue with that in the next in the next term. Wes, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me. I know you're busy in Columbia, and I just appreciate you taking time Absolutely. to stop and do that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. If you need anything else, let me know. I will, and I'm, I'm going to end it right there. I was just going to tell you, I really like your uh, social media things about the absentee voting. I think people need to get that word and get out, and I think you've done a good job getting that on social media a lot, and I think it, uh, it's been effective. So. so. Yeah. Uh, yesterday in Powdersville, we had 75 people. Um, I think down in Star, they had 30. Um, this morning... In Powdersville, there were 22. I'm going to find out today at the end of the day. So people are using it. It's just, you know, 
the, the less we can do for people to have to stand in line and be around each other on June 9th, the better it is for the I community agree. as a whole. So, I agree. I think yeah. that absentee is going to decide some of these races too, so it's going to be really important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you be careful on the road, man. I know y'all are down there trying to get a little bit done, so y'all don't have to go back for at least a couple. When are y'all going back, do you know? Well, well, actually, we uh, we finished out late last night, right. and um, and I came back last night. Um, yeah. I, got, I don't even know what time it was. I saw the I water story on that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're going to go back for sure in September, the right. last two weeks in September. Right. That's when we'll pass a state budget. We'll finish up anything that was left on the calendar. Uh, we may go back. So I really, um, we the, the CR that we passed last, yesterday may get vetoed by the governor. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't know where that stands, but if it gets vetoed, we'll have to go back for that. But if not, we won't go back right. unless something comes up with the pandemic until later in June or, or September. All right. Well, the first one I'm asking everybody is uh, why are you wanting to run for public office? Why do you want to run? Okay. Well, my, my main reason from pretty much from, uh, from the time I was four or five years old, I've always just kind of had a, a service heart. I've went into law enforcement because I felt like it was a calling and uh, with the thoughts of, you know, well, hey, I can maybe help some people do some good. And, and that's how I policed my whole career. If I couldn't do anything to, to help you, I wasn't going to do anything to hurt you. Most people did enough of that on their own. And then I retired in 2012. And during that time, my, my wife, she had a little bit of sickness. We retired, didn't know it, but she ended up having a brain tumor. And so I was blessed just to get to be home and take care of her till everything got better. And then uh, we started spending a little time in prayer about what I could probably do to, to serve, maybe help people. And, uh, you know, and that, that's what the, the Lord laid on her heart. And we prayed about it. And then last October, we got the answer to go ahead. And and the whole thing is, you know, I might not, you know, know have answers to everything. I want to be, I'm retired. I can be available pretty much full-time. I'm looking at I'll do this as a full-time job. If some folks, uh, you call me and have a question or a concern and I don't have the answer, I'll say, you know, give me two days and I'll get back with you. You know, I'm not afraid to say, well, I don't know. That's over my head. Give me a chance to to find the answer, and it's just the opportunity that I feel like to uh, to be able to to serve the community and and maybe make a little bit of a difference. What do you think some of the biggest challenges facing South Carolina are? Well, and and for pretty much South Carolina before COVID nineteen hit. I mean, I think even in our district and things over here, we got to we we grow, 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 but we don't stop some time to think about infrastructure and uh, you know we you get 2,000 more houses coming up and most of them have two to three cars and eventually infrastructure is kind of forgotten about we just kind of keep building and keep adding and I feel like that's something and then but for me personally there's things that I'd like to look at is I'd like to maybe uh, try to attack the homeless homeless population is growing up our veterans are being neglected and um those are there's things that I want to want to kind of look at, 
And then again, with and, and everybody wants to discuss uh, roads. You know, you you drive down Highway 81, and you drive down at six months, and two front end alignments later. But we we got to get things where it can streamline a little better. There shouldn't be so much red tape to be able to get to work. You know, you get a a stretch of road that needs to be paved, and you you got two years of getting permits and permission and things like that. And I just think there's ways we could probably shortcut that. And, and speed that process up. And, uh, you mentioned roads. I'm sure that's probably part of this answer too. But uh, what, when people find out you were running, what are people telling you they want to see done uh, from their representative? Well, you know, it's been amazing that where I would have thought different, but but most of them have talked about Second Amendment rights. Uh, you know, people want to want to talk about the, their gun rights, and they're afraid of. Of, of losing that and thinking that one day the government's going to knock on the doors and take their guns. Most people talk about roads and guns. That's the, the two things they kind of hit hit most. And then when we, we shut down, I've gotten more calls about uh, abortion clinics being able to be open, but the, but we shut our churches down. You know, people were a little concerned about that. They've talked about that, but... Uh, but basically, a lot of times, Second Amendment and roads is what's on people's minds, and that's what they kind of feel like affects them every day because they ride a roads, and and then they worrying about losing their their right to, to carry and keep a firearm. Well, is there anything I have not asked you that you wanted to make sure people knew about you and about um, your candidacy? <laughs> The biggest thing for me is I, just a common sense approach. I want to look at if it looks like a rabbit, runs like a rabbit. It was a rabbit. Um, just being able, and I understand there's 124 legislators down there, and I know you think one person you can't go down, and I, I believe we have a, a, my biggest thing that I look at is we've finally taxed, increased. The biggest thing I'd want people to know, for me, if it's a tax increase, I'm voting no. If it increases the size and the power of our government, I'm voting no. And if it infringes on your property rights or your per personal, personal liberties, I'm voting no there. The first question is, uh, why did you just decide to get involved in public service? You're you're actually pretty famous for really wearing out shoe leather when you got you first got elected several years ago. What what made you decide to to take the step into public service? Well, it was kind of a process. Um, I didn't, you know, start out with a, a great deal of personal interest in politics, but the more I learned about it um, through some friends and mentors of mine, I, I began to realize more and more that uh, because so few people actually get involved in state and local politics that um, you actually can have an outsized impact uh, for those that choose to do it. And I was raised with the mentality that when you look around and you see things that you have problems with, uh, don't just stand there and complain about it. Actually try to do something about it if you can. Um, so that was the mentality that I got from my parents. And so that was kind of a personal mandate to me that because um, I believed that that things were happening that weren't good in our state and our community, that I needed to try to personally get involved and, and try to do my part. And, and one thing kind of led to another. I started out actually in 2008 
as a uh, grassroots campaign volunteer for the Mike Huckabee for President campaign. Um, and then in 2009 through 2012, uh, led the Anderson Tea Party, which I organized so, as an activist grassroots group. And uh, also during that time, got pretty heavily involved and, and have remained so uh, in the local uh, Anderson Republican Party. Uh, served several times as a delegate to the SCGOP convention, state convention, and um, have continued to try to uh, stay in close contact with grassroots activists locally and statewide uh, since taking office in 2014. And you're absolutely right. I've always believed that uh, personal connection with people is extremely important. And so every time I've run, um, I have, uh, you know, made sure that I took uh, a big part of my time to make sure that I was going out and, and knocking on doors and actually meeting the people face to face. My uh, simple uh, way of looking at things is that if you're going to ask someone for a job, the least you can do is ask for it in person. And so that was my goal. Of course, with the uh, shutdown, everything that's really thrown a big monkey wrench in those plans for this year. But that's what I've done every every other time I've run. And that would have been difficult for you to run in other eras, maybe because of the way these things are right now. Um, the uh, tell me why. Um, what what do you think the biggest issues facing South Carolina are? Well, probably a a lack of um, a lack of transparency and a lack of of loyalty. I think to the people. Um, that's what I believe that I bring to the table is a loyalty to the people from from the get go. You know, my take has always been um, the the representatives should. Um, you know, have a trust relationship, which is, that's a two-way street, you know, with the people that they actually represent. Now, too often what I see in Columbia is, you know, many of my colleagues uh, actually are beholden to the power structure. So, you know, that might be the majority leader or that might be a committee chairman or the speaker of the house or something like that. And I didn't run for office to let some guy out of um, Hartsville, South Carolina, to or, or some other part of the state to, you know, call the shots for District 8. I, I was elected to represent the people of District 8, and that's what I've tried to do. And, of course, that's, uh, that's made me, uh, caused me to become, you know, crossways with uh, some of those individuals on a number of occasions, which is why um, I believe that uh, they're targeting me now. But, I, you know, I believe that it's incredibly important for the people to know what their state government is up to. And I don't believe there's any such thing as privacy when it comes to the actions of, of public officials. Um, you know, privacy is for citizens, not legislators. Uh, transparency is for government officials. And that's what we need more of here in South Carolina. And other than trend, the transparency issue, which you've been involved in, what, what, other, what are, do you see some of the biggest issues facing the state of South Carolina the next year? I mean, probably the most urgent one is um, dealing with our state budget. I mean, we don't have a permanent budget yet for this year. And with the economic effects of the shutdown still a bit of a question mark, um, I, I think that we're going to have some, some major financial issues to deal with over the next year or, or possibly more than just the next year. So uh, I hope that the effects of this aren't too long range, but, um, you know, there are a lot of signs that, that it very well could be. So, you know, that's going to affect our state pension, which was already uh, just about upside down. Um, it affects, it affects all kinds of things. Um, 
you know, we still have ongoing issues with getting our roads fixed. Uh, it's not a funding issue. We have um, DOT flush with, um, you know, uh, half a billion dollars sitting in the bank right now not being used. That money is supposed to be earmarked for repaving, and it's, it's not happening right now, even though we're in peak uh, repaving season. Um, so, I mean, we still have a lot of ongoing issues with um, bad decisions coming out of Columbia. And that's why I say, um, for me, it comes down to transparency, because the only way this keeps happening is if the people don't really know what's going on. What, you've been in office for a pretty good while now. What what uh, do you hear the most from your constituents that they're interested in? What what do they call you about? Uh, they call me about a variety of things. I mean, obviously, um, since the shutdown, I've gotten tons and tons of calls from people saying that they've applied for unemployment and haven't heard anything back. Um, so, you know, I've I've been able to help you know, really all of those people, you know, to get their uh, application unstuck over at DEW, and they've been very cooperative over there, which I'm thankful for, very helpful. Um, aside from that, I mean, I, I would regularly and I expect to continue to hear from constituents about the state of our roads, um, which, you know, I've been living in, I was born in Anderson, I've been living here in the Townville area for over 10 years, and I can't remember a time when our roads were ever worse than they are now. I routinely have to drive around potholes and and the you know the road noise is deafening when I'm driving down the road, and and it's it, it's a real shame. And I think that you know once again this goes back to bureaucrats and politicians in Colombia making decisions that seem right for them within their narrow scope, but they're forgetting what life is like for the average everyday Joe. And for people who don't know you or have not met you, what what do they need to know about you? Well. Um, I'm I'm a bit unconventional. I'm a, I'm an independent thinker, um, but I also believe that it's extremely important um, that I be respectful. And I've, you know, been able to have good relationships with, um, you know, people from both ends of the political spectrum, uh, both inside and outside of Columbia. And so, you know, I I want to keep that going. I, I do try to be extremely accessible. Um, my cell number is. I think anyone should feel free to call me at any time or text, reach out on Facebook or email through my website, which is votehill.com. All of those channels, I do try to be, uh, make it as easy as possible for folks to get a hold of their representative if they, if they need me. And is there anything I haven't asked you that you wanted to make sure you got out there? Well, um, yeah, I mean, one other issue that regularly comes up is, is the issue of gun rights. Uh, done probably more than anybody else in our state house at this point in recent memory to, you know, protect and defend the uh, second amendment, which is part of the constitution that we swear our oath of office to protect and defend. And so, you know, that's consisted of um, pushing forward uh, constitutional carry legislation. We've had no less than three votes on that since I was elected, votes which I was able to force. And uh, each time we get a little closer and uh, I believe that next time we, vote on it and there will be a next time um that it's it's likely to pass given the groundwork that's been laid um i've also worked with the attorney general to put a stop to um you know uh, local uh, illegal uh, legislation on guns uh, such as the city of columbia's uh, red flag laws that they passed this past summer and uh, that's still pending but the attorney general has uh, taken that 
matter to court uh, to have it adjudicated. And of course, we have a uh, state preemption law, which basically says that only the state can regulate guns, the, the cities and counties. It's out of their scope. And, um, and certainly there are constitutional issues at play there as well. So, you know, those are definitely issues that I've been involved in, um, been involved in exposing corruption all over the place uh, within the state house, and including uh, dealing with how we uh, elect judges and, and so forth. So, you know, there's there's not anyone that you're going to find that is more candid and forthcoming about my voting record and about um, the, the voting records of, of others in the legislature. And here is my interview with uh, uh, Representative Hill's opponent, uh, Anderson Optometrist Vaughn Parfit. This one is, is, why did you decide to run for public service? Well, I've been in, uh, involved in politics for 30 years, mainly in my profession uh, in optometry um, and in healthcare. Um, I've been very intimate with several uh, pieces of legislation. Uh, one specific, I rewrote the entire Practice Act for optometry. Um, which the Practice Act basically says, this is what an optometrist does, this is what you can do, and this is what happens if you don't do it. Uh, every occupation in South Carolina has a Practice Act, except lawyers. They have the bar. And all Practice Acts are under labor licensing and regulation. So anyway, our Practice Act um, had been modified for many, many, many years, uh, and we had to rewrite it. So we rewrote it, and it took me a year to get it through the legislature, legislature both House and Senate. Um, and at the last minute, it, uh, it was bobtailed with a, an amendment on hair braiding, and the governor killed it. And it took me another year to get it back through House and Senate to get it passed. But So I've had experience in legislation. Um, but more to the point, why am I entering now? Um, we need leadership in Columbia. We're not getting it for District 8. Um, and in my mind, it was either... For me, put up or shut up, and I decided I, it was time for me to step in and do the right thing. Well, what do you see as some of the biggest issues facing South Carolina? Hmm. Right now, COVID, uh, and what's the truth behind COVID? Uh, COVID nineteen. Um, you know, I don't. I don't see that we're getting a, a, a an accurate picture from anybody. Um, I personally think that. It's a, a bad flu virus. It needs to be respected, but I think uh, the reaction from government is uh, way overblown. Um, South Carolina has a lot of problems. Um, it's still a great state to live in. Um, education is a, ma a major problem in my mind. Um, we have too many politicians telling teachers what to do, too many people too many politicians with their fingers in the pot. We need to streamline education and let teachers teach. Uh, farmers, um, we got to eat. And um, we're making it harder and harder for farmers to make a living. Um, 30 years ago, there were something like 37 dairies in Anderson County. Now there's one. Um, that's not a good thing. Um, our lake here locally, um, that's a, a big, hu a huge asset. Water's going to be coming increasing uh, 
commodity in the years to come. Uh, we're going to have to deal with Atlanta uh, wanting that water, Georgia wanting that water, and they have a right to some of it. Um, that's going to be a big issue. Um, but I'm getting local now. Yeah, well, what about the challenges of the budget? What do you see as the budget challenges for South Carolina? Uh, for me, it was reading it. Um, <laughs> it is a monster. Um, I suspect the one problem with the budget is that it is so large, uh, I think you would find it hard to find anybody who had their mind totally wrapped around that entire budget. Um, I suspect there's a lot of waste in there. Um, I suspect that they take the budget from last year and just kind of tweak it a little bit for, for the next year. And what about, since you've been out campaigning, what are some of the most common questions you're getting from constituents who, what they're most interested in finding out more about or want done in, in Columbia? Actually, I, they, they really don't talk much about Columbia. They talk about local politics. They talk about um, roads, mainly. Um, and, of course, that, that does go back to Columbia. Um, money getting down to roads, uh, taxation. Um, people wonder where all that gas tax money is going. And I can't answer them yet, but I will. What, what have I not asked you that you want people to know about you? What do people need to know about you personally or you and your, your, your political viewpoint and philosophy moving ahead here? My political philosophy. That might be a little bit of a vague question because that sounds academic. I just what do people need to know about you or what else have I not asked you that people need to know about you as the candidate and why they should vote for you? You know, I believe that people should should um, live free lives, but with freedom comes responsibility. Um, if you want freedom for you, you've got to have freedom for the next guy. Um, we all have to be responsible in the way we live our lives. Um, taxation is a necessary evil, but it has to be done efficiently. I think there's work to be done there. Um, I want people to live their lives free. Um, to do much of what they do on their own. And that's the purpose of government. The government is only here, should only be here to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Um, and most government should be local. And when the local government can't do it, then you step up to the state government. And the state should only do what the county can't. And when the state can't do it, for example, protecting our shores, then you rely on the federal government. The federal government should only do what the states can't do for themselves. And I think that's been turned upside down. Uh, federal government is way out of control. I can't fix that, but I can be a voice. What about people who don't know you, who've never met you? What, what do people need to know about you, the person? I don't lie, I don't cheat, and I don't steal. Um, that comes from the cadet honor code at the Citadel. Um, that's how I try to live my life. Um, I believe in hard work, pay your dues, pull your own weight. That's how I try to live my life. And in South Carolina Senate, 
three race. It features incumbent Richard Cash and challenger Anderson County Councilman Craig Wooten. Uh, again, the winner of this race will run unopposed in November. And here's my interview first with Senator Richard Cash. You're, you're, uh, why did you decide to put yourself out there for public service to begin with? Well, this goes all the way back to 2008, Greg. And uh, the simplest answer is just to say, you know, it's a sense of calling that you felt like felt like God was leading me to run. I actually, if you were around back then, you know, I ran in that open primary when Gresham Barrett stepped down, and I ended up in a runoff against Jeff Duncan and lost by three percentage points uh, a congressional race when I had never been in politics before. So. My next uh, challenge, Lindsey Graham in 2014, and that was an interesting race. Uh, but he just had, he got way too much money uh, to make that a legitimate a legitimate race for any of us challengers. So anyway, this seat, when this seat opened up, or actually when Kevin Bryant realized that he was going to become lieutenant governor, he gave me a call and just asked me if I would consider running for the seat, and I'd I told him that I probably would, uh, and uh, you know that was a little bit out of the blue, but I was ready. And uh, because of the prior two races, I had a good of name recognition already with the voters, and uh, was able to able to win the seat in 2017. Well, and you've been down there now for a little while. What what do you see as the biggest challenges facing South Carolina right now? Well, that's easy. I mean, the biggest challenge facing South Carolina is kind of the same challenge that faces anybody who's trying to navigate their way through this COVID virus. Um, you know, we've got 20% of the workforce unemployed. I was just on a radio interview, and the fact is that in the last eight weeks, we've had over 450,000 initial unemployment claims. In South Carolina, and for perspective, uh, that's like six times as many claims in like one week as, as the highest period during the Great Recession of 2009 and 10. So trying to kind of navigate our way through the, the COVID virus in, in all aspects of society, everything from business to schools to churches, I mean, that's what we're dealing with right now. And, and particularly businesses and schools are going to take a big budget hit from all this, obviously. That's that's going to be a challenge, right? Well, you know, public schools uh, are not necessarily going to take a big hit. Now, the universities have taken a big hit. I mean, Anderson probably took, Anderson University probably took a $9 million loss. Uh, any Any university in the state would have a similar story. The hospitals, uh, you know, their losses ranged in the tens of millions because uh, the governor asked them on March 17th to, to stop doing elective procedures, and and they voluntarily complied and lost, you know, over the next six weeks, they lost 40% of their business, of their revenue that, you know, you normally would have from elective procedures. So tremendous shortfall now in, in hospital budgets um, and you know I don't know I'm not privy to 
information about church budgets and stuff like that. I would imagine that it's impacted churches some. And for small business owners, well, you know, for some industries like restaurants and hair salons, I've seen estimates that 20 to 25 percent of those businesses are, are permanently shut, that they're not going to be able to reopen. So, you know, those are those are business owners now that are looking for another opportunity and of course a lot of employees uh, are now facing uh, a more long-term unemployment situation that it's just not going to be the the case where where we have this v-shaped recovery where you know as soon as the governor says you can reopen everything goes back to normal that's just not going to happen and, and all those things you're talking about ultimately affect the state budget that we still don't know what to do yet. Yeah, we uh, we passed a continuing budget resolution right. on May the 12th, and it will it will mean that at the start of our new fiscal year, July 1st, we will be operating on last year's budget. We will probably go back to Columbia in September. Well, not probably. We're going back in September or October when we have better financial data. Uh, currently, they're not projecting currently that it's going to be as severe as the Great Recession in terms of of having deep budget cuts, and mainly that's because the economic growth, you know, up until the coronavirus was so strong that you know we may be looking at a at a picture of uh, instead of deep cuts, just more or less dealing with the same amount of money we had, you know, in the 2019-20 budget. And I, and I sure hope that's the case, but I have some sneaking suspicions that the uh, the ripple effects of this economic shutdown are going to go on for uh, several years. And obviously, that, like you said, that's the big issue facing every other issue. But what about, uh, let's just, let's say if we could rewind before that, what, what are some of the biggest and uh, most common questions you get from your constituents? What are they most interested in and what you're doing down in Columbia? Well, you know, that generally changes from one year to the next. This, this was the year where we were trying to pass education reform, and uh, a lot of work went into that. And, uh, you know, we kind of got that wrapped up and, and off the table to, to, to some degree. And now, you know, with COVID, uh, education um, people are really in a tailspin trying to figure out what to do about public schools come August. I mean, various scenarios are being floated, like having kids going to school every other day so they can half the size of classes and try to practice social distancing. There's all kinds of ideas being being looked at out there. Um, you know, right before we had the COVID shutdown, uh, we had had a pretty long, drawn-out fight in, in the Republican caucus in the Senate, uh, a fight that I was leading to get the heartbeat bill onto the floor of the Senate. Uh, it had already passed the House. Uh, we had fought that through and pretty much won the battle within the caucus to get that bill on the floor. And uh, if people don't, if, if somebody's listening and doesn't know what that is, can you give them like two sentences on what that bill entails? Well, the heartbeat bill is a pro-life bill that basically says a doctor cannot perform uh, an abortion 
on an unborn child that has a heartbeat. So, you know, before performing an abortion, an ultrasound has to be done if a, if a baby, if the baby's heart has begun to beat, that child's life cannot be taken. So, it is probably the strongest uh, pro-life measure to ever get a a uh, a real chance at passage. South Carolina legislature has been passed by half a dozen states, and uh, we were poised to take it up uh, when, when COVID shut everything down. And I'm hopeful that we will go back in the, in the summer months and do some legislative work. I, I was never really in favor of us just going home because of the health risk. I mean, people are working in hospitals and grocery stores and home improvement stores. And basically, we just took ourselves out of the picture for eight weeks. And I think, personally, we need to go to Columbia and have a summer session and get the work done. <clears throat> because, as you know, our legislative cycle is, is a two-year cycle so that any bill that was introduced in 2019 or 20 has to pass by the end of this year. Otherwise, you start over. So there's a tremendous number of bills that pass the House that haven't been taken up by the Senate, vice versa. And finally, uh, what if people have not met you or don't know you, what, what do people need to know about you personally? Well, I, I have lived uh, up in the Pottersville area for 28 years. I'm a small business owner of uh, several small businesses. I'm a family man. I mean, my wife and I have been blessed with eight children. Uh, five of them now have graduated college, uh, three of them from Anderson University. And um, of course, we've been married for 35 years. So I, I have a uh, what I call the three C's. You know, I stand on the principles of, of conservatism politically and and uh, I believe economically uh, in capitalism. And, and I have a Christian worldview, you know, that I bring to political arena as well so you know that basically is a snapshot of who, who I am uh, what I believe um, how I'm going to approach things when I'm in Columbia I'm, I'm happy to debate ideas uh, listen to other people's points of views but I think it's important that a candidate make it clear you know what their own worldview is so so that people have an idea about what they're getting when they vote for somebody is there anything else I didn't ask you that you wanted to say? Well, just it's been an honor, you know, these past three years to be able to represent the northern half of the county. I try hard to uh, respond to people's uh, emails and phone calls personally. I mean, my cell phone number is published online in the state directory. Um, but I certainly try to help people with their constituent service. I enjoy the legislative process and I do hope that people will, uh, will will go and vote on June the 9th, and I do ask for their vote and hope to return to uh, continue serving the county for another four years. And here's my interview with Anderson County Councilman Craig Wooten, who is challenging uh, Richard Cash for the South Carolina Senate three seat. Craig, what do you think, um, well, first of all, why did you decide to run for the state senator? County Councilman, why did you decide to get into public service, first of all, and then why did you decide to run for the state senate? Well, I tell people all the time, I, I was very fortunate growing up in Anderson, had a wonderful childhood, um, and I grew up in Pendleton, but my parents worked in Anderson, and 
I didn't have a worry in the world. I, I enjoyed my church. I enjoyed um, the community that I lived in, and I played sports, and things were taken care of. And things were taken care of because leaders in my parents' generation stepped up to be part of the community, whether it was the, the school system or the county or you know, the hospital or, or whatever it was. And so as I had four children, and I was approaching 40, and sort of not coming to a midlife crisis, but a midlife recognition of, you know, these things don't just continue themselves. They're not, um, they're not just perpetually renewed on their own. Each generation has to step up and sort of say, well, what kind of community environment do I want to create for my children? And what is Anderson going to be in the next 20 years? And so getting involved on county council you know, allowed me to do just that, to talk about parks, to talk about EMS, police, you know, how our county's growing and who we want to be. And my first campaign slogan slogan was um, um, preserve and pursue, because we wanted to preserve what was best about our community, because we have so many good things, but we also wanted to pursue um, the things we wanted to continue and where we wanted to go. So from county council, the reason I ran for the state Senate was I saw how important it was for Anderson to have quality representation in Columbia. The county doesn't operate separate from Columbia. The county is an, an entity under Columbia, and so many budgetary items, so many projects um, is is a joint effort between the county and and what's going on in Columbia. And I just really felt like in the South Carolina Senate, I could give Anderson a seat at the table so that our boys and girls and, um, you know, our families weren't taking a back seat to Greenville or Charleston or Columbia. Those are all great places, but this is where we live. And um, the state senator is a representation of that. And it's required of the state senator to to be able to liaison for Anderson, to be a, an ambassador for Anderson, but at the same time, you know, hit on multiple issues. Roads is a huge issue. Um, economic development is a huge issue. Education in South Carolina is a, will always be an issue that um, we're pursuing. So to be able to hit on all topics and represent Anderson in a positive way, it's just it's part of that pursuing and and preserving, you know, that I started out with for county council. Well, you just you touched on some things. What do you see as the biggest issue or issues facing South Carolina right now? I think the biggest issue, and this is going, I'm going to go broad and then sort of go back narrow. The biggest issue is a, a level of a lack of community. You know, we are more transient now than than ever. You know, people will you know have seven or eight jobs throughout their lifetime. They'll move for those jobs. They're working at home. And people aren't investing in their areas as much as they used to and because they're going to move on. And South Carolina is a place where our kids are going off to college and then sometimes going to Charlotte or Atlanta. Uh, and then sometimes we're having folks move in from other states. And so for us to be able to articulate you know, who we want to be and how we want to get there and get people to buy in. You know, as a as a retiree here, you may not see the benefit in education, but if you buy into this community, you're going to sort of see the long-term benefit. 
as a as a young person here, you might have your eyes on going somewhere else. But um, it's still your responsibility to be part of this community. So, in in looking at that and having that mindset, we can we can tackle long term problems. Huge ongoing problem is roads. Um, there's no reason why roads should be as bad as they are. Um, and a level of its funding, but a level of it is also coordination within the bureaucracy just to get things done in a more efficient manner. Um, I think education is the, the the cornerstone of any great society. It's what public education has made South Carolina great uh, and this country great. But now there's more choices than ever. We need to foster those choices, but at the same time, you know, protect education and in our schools that we love so dearly. And on top of that, I, I really think, you know, one of the biggest challenges of South Carolina is economic development. You know, just growing up in Anderson and having family that worked in um, the mills, we saw what happened in the early 90s. And, and we can debate the reasons, but we saw jobs go overseas. And we're getting a lot of manufacturing jobs back. Some of them aren't paying as well as they used to. Um, some of them are, but we need to have an economy where our folks can um, can get educated here and that they can live here and that they can work here and that we can be part of the global economy, but that we can embrace made in the USA and that we can manufacture things here and that we're using the skill sets that we learn in, in our high schools and our technical colleges and our universities to bring innovation and uh, production to South Carolina. How do you see the the whole issue surrounding the pandemic uh, playing into these issues and the things you're talking about? Well, the pandemic's caused um, so much discussion, and rightfully so, because people are scared um, for their own health. People are scared for their financial well-being and their businesses. And it's caused robust debate on all sides. And, w- and whenever there's a robust debate like this, this, there are so many stats flying around. There are so many pundits giving their take on it. And so, you know, things can get confusing as to what's going on. But it's, it's overshadowed some of our um, everyday topics that we usually talk about. And the national media is driving such a frenzy on it that um, we're not getting to talk about some everyday stuff um, like police, EMS, and roads. We'll get back there. I mean, this pandemic's not going to last forever. We're already getting back to work and phasing in, and and people are trying to do it safely. But, um, you know, just any time that, whether it's a a war or a pandemic or a great recession, it's going to dominate the headlines and and it's going to dominate how we talk about all the other sub items that we need to do. And and it'll, uh, we don't. I guess it's too early to know. But whoever wins this seat will be facing budget issues as well in Columbia. Well, yeah, we we had the Great Recession, and then we were we were battling back. We had some surpluses. You know, obviously, you know, tourism up, was up. Um, people were buying things. You know, manufacturing was going well. And so, you know, the economic fallout for this is going to last a while. So, you know, whenever that happens, you know, local and state revenue um, can decline. Um, things like unemployment and, and services can increase. And so I think it's going to be key um, 
for the next senator or all the senators and representatives when they go to Columbia to start to make quality decisions. You know, where are items that are actual fluff that we can get rid of so that we can focus on core items, but at the same time, not mistake items that are quality investments so that we can grow. You know, sometimes the hatchet across the board is needed, but also a little bit of vision on where to invest moving forward is needed because with this pandemic, there's been struggles, but we're going to come out on the other side of it uh, with some opportunities, and we need to be forward-looking to capture those. Both as a councilman and now people who know you're running for the state senate, what what are some of the most common concerns you're hearing from constituents? Most people will ask about roads. I think that's something when they leave their house every day and they go to work. Um, you know, if they're hitting the same pothole or or, or their their tires are roaring, they want to know why can't it be done. And especially when they go into North Carolina or Georgia and and the roads all all of a sudden become smooth. So, you know, we tell them that a lot of a lot of headway has been made, but it's going to take us time to catch up. But they need to know and know and have confidence that we have a plan that we're executing it, and and they they want to see the results. The, the constituents and and voters are results oriented people. Um, they want to see it um, to believe it, and so that's that's an ongoing challenge that I hear. And then I also hear a level of cooperation. You know, people tell me all the time, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with this party or this party, or I identify here, or I identify here. But I do expect my representative at the end of the day to work to get things done. You know, hold core values, that's expected, but work to get things done and don't get caught up in the push-pull rhetoric um, but to work for the betterment of the community and for the people because things like public safety, things like infrastructure, things like economic development, those are shared by everybody, and they just want them done. They want them to be done well. You said core values there. What what are the core values as you see them? Core values in South Carolina, um, I think South Carolina identifies itself as a conservative state. You know, they understand investing and moving forward, but they don't understand wastefulness. Um, we, have a, we have a Puritan work ethic. People want to know that you're working hard, that you're showing up, that you're, you're, you're doing your due diligence. And we're a friendly state. We're, we're a southern state. People want to know that you're operating in, um, you know, a level of congeniality, that you're, that you're, you're pleasant, you're listening, and you're being respectful. You know, and we share Judeo-Christian values, and people want to see those integrated into policy, and they want to know that um, that's reflected in their representative and in their in their laws, and that's not to not to intermingle them too far and to overstep um, the role of government, but they would want to see that reflected in how people operate. So those are sort of the core values that I hear from you know people in our community and our state sort of echo they want to see out of government. And how does that reflect your core values there? Well, it, it lines up with my core values. I'm a, I'm a family man. I believe in family. Um, I believe in, um, my, you know, my children, and I believe in, you know, my church and my community. And for me to be able to go out and be respectful of others and to understand that people are going through um, troubles, and, you know, life can be tough and that the government should, when they can get out of the way 
but also with the government can that they can um, can be there to foster an environment where where people can can succeed and and grow their businesses and live their lives. Just sort of, I know it sounds basic, but just life, liberty, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the government shouldn't shouldn't get in the way of that. But at the same time, there's some essential items when you get back to public safety and infrastructure that that people expect. Well. One of the things I'm most proud of is uh, South Carolina Citizens for Life rating me as 100% um, pro-life. And for me, pro-life is you know, protecting the lives of the unborn, but it also means protecting the lives of drug-addicted or disabled elderly people, you know, from the moment of conception to all the way to natural death, that, you know, we cherish life, we cherish people and um you know babies and and that we are respectful of people and that um you know life is is something given to us by god we're all made in his image and and that we love each other and that we respect each other and that we do that through you know proper policy and governance um also you know we were excited on the the county level with everything going on with the pandemic and and, and, and national issues, there's there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, my, you know, people's Second Amendment rights. And people want, that's, that's something that, especially in the South, in South Carolina, you know, we hold dearly. And for most people, that means they, they want a right to be able to protect themselves. And, and they see things going on in other parts of the country, and they don't want them to go on here. So on the county level, we were able to make an affirmation of the Second Amendment and the Constitution and, and pushing forward a, a Second Amendment sanctuary county. And, and I was a part of that from the beginning and, and had a good discussion with some local groups who were just concerned citizens who were just you know, down-to-earth people who wanted to make sure that their constitutional rights were protected. And I'd probably say the last thing, and I I can't talk about it enough, is, you know, the the county for last year took on one of the the largest paving contracts that we had taken on in, I want to say, 10 years. And, you know, the rain delays it, and we got to work in the summer season, but we're, we're getting out and we're trying to to pave as many of the county roads in conjunction with the state paving the, the state roads and at the same time working with the state to, to make sure that we can get back to where we need to be and that we're not playing catch up on roads, but that we can adequately fund roads and have a solid plan moving forward. So I guess between right to life and second amendment and roads and infrastructure, those are three things I wanted to add. And uh, finally, if people who have not met you or don't know you, what the, what would you tell them about you and your family? What else do people need to know about you that I haven't asked? Uh, uh, I tell people, you know, being in politics, everybody, you know, wants to put you or pigeonhole you in a certain area and, and say you're doing it for this reason or you're doing it for this reason or you're on this side or this side. Um, we're laid-back, friendly people, and my wife and I um, – you know, we care about the community, and and one of the things we talk about at night, we talk about through all the different issues, is just listening and and understanding that there's a lot of sides um, to a lot of issues, and and people people are taking all sorts of different approaches. So, you know, I've worked in business, and I've seen, and at the end of the day, that a lot of getting things done 
is being able to work well with others, to, to be able to take input and be respectful of others and work together. And as I traveled the state working in past political jobs, some areas that you wouldn't expect were doing things were getting things done because people were coming to the table with a level of common ground to execute. And that's a powerful thing, whether it's, you know, starting a hospital or, uh, you know, a school, when, when people can come together for that common ground, it's amazing what they can get done. And so I embrace that, and that's something that, you know, I want to be part of in politics is, you know, making, making a better community and working together. And remember, absentee balloting is now available for all voters in this primary statewide. Here in Anderson County, there's extra places to vote. You can check with the Anderson County Voter Registration Office both online or on their Facebook page. Uh, It's too late if you haven't registered for the primary, but it's not too late before the November general elections. But if you have any questions or want to see a sample ballot, you can visit scvotes.org for more information or watch the Anderson Observer News from People You Trust for updated information on candidates and and information on this. Uh, These are some of the candidates running. I hope to have them all on the podcast before the June 9th primary, so stay with me here again next week. Well, finally this week, I talked to the regional director of the Census 2020 about Anderson's ranking in the census and why it remains a critical piece of the county's future. Um, First of all, remind people who you are again and what your position is. Marilyn uh, Stevens, Assistant Regional Census Manager for the Atlanta Region of the U.S. Census Bureau. Well, let's just start in, in the broad terms and we'll work our way down. Um, Marilyn, just remind people again what the census is, why people should do it, why it's such an important thing. Yes. Um, since 1790, we have conducted a census of the entire population of the United States, counting everybody without distinction. And the primary reason a census is conducted is to determine how many representatives each state gets in Congress. The more seats a state has in Congress, the bigger their voice. So every state is vying for the the biggest portion of that 435 based on their population. And then there's a $675 billion in resources that we all depend on. Most people don't realize that um, highway planning and construction uh, the funding formulas are, are determined uh, using population statistics or uh, health care programs such as Medicare or community health centers or rural hospitals um, or the uh, children's uh, health insurance program and education programs such as Early Head Start, Head Start, Title I grants, the bilingual education, as well as other grants. Yeah, how, the, one, the one here, everybody's always always mentioned everybody is highway planning and construction's a big deal. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the roads, uh, trust me, my tires will, will thank everybody for completing the census <laughs> uh, to get, get new roads and highways. I've, I've had that experience, and it's not a good one. And, and then one of the things, too, uh, oftentimes I hear parents talk about, for instance, especially young children, how can they tell me they don't have enough positions in Head Start and my child has to wait out a year? And the reason is the numbers don't support the need because for whatever reason, parents tend to leave their children off of the census questionnaire. So we're really urging parents this census, make sure you count everybody, including your children in that household. And I always remind people so that, it's actually written into the Constitution. This is not just something people are doing. This absolutely. is absolutely constitutionally mandated. 
constitutionally mandated. Therefore, on the on the outside of your envelope, it'll say this is required by law, and that's the truth. Well, but moreover, you know, well, getting resources for your community and not wanting to leave anything on the table. You des- your community deserves its fair share, and you only get once a decade to reset. I think somebody locally uh, had done some research here saying in Anderson County, South Carolina, uh, each person who signs up, uh, that means about $890 a person in government money. If, if we don't sign up, we lose. And, um, yeah, a number of universities have done those studies. And just think, that's, you know, whoever did the study probably said, and that is per year per person. Right. Well, our, 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 they sent me some statistics. Our most recent uh, response right here in our county is 61.2%. How does that look compared to the rest of the country, since you're the region, since you're in charge of a region? Well, guess what? You, you really went up. Um, you went up to 61.3%. Oh, well, good. That's good to hear. Yes, yes. And the, um, South Carolina, the state is at 54.6%. So, actually... Uh, Anderson County is above the, the state average, and that's and that's a good thing. And you're also above the national average of 59.7 percent. But when you think about it, the the goal of every county is to get to 100 percent. Right. So there's still, you know, a little less than 40 percent of the households who have yet to respond. And this census, we have options. You know, I like to call this the census of options. We've never had this, had options to respond. Now you can go online at my2020census.gov, or if you want to do it by phone and talk with a representative, you can call 1-844-330-2020. Or if you are a traditionalist, and you definitely haven't done it by now, we would have sent you a paper questionnaire. You can complete the paper questionnaire, put it in the envelope enclosed, and give it to the postal carrier. So it's, it's the easiest it's ever been. Uh, I have actually shown some people how to do it, some older folks who aren't real comfortable. But you, it, it, and if you do the online thing, it takes like three minutes. It takes almost no time at all. Absolutely. I received a telephone call from a gentleman. How he got my call, nobody will confess. <laughs> and, um, he, and he told me that we were, it was something wrong with our website. And so I, I said, are you keying all the numbers in, you know, correctly into the, the URL, my2020census.gov? And he kept on. He still couldn't get it. I said, let me give me your email. I will send you the link. I did. He, he clicked into the link. And I said, put your 12-digit uh, ID in it. You have that from your letter. He said, yes. He put it in. And then it got his birth date. He said, let me put my birth date in. And, of course, it populates your age as of April 1st. He screamed. He said, wow, this, this I love this. It knows that I'm 92, and I'm saying to myself, 92. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we, he went on and he completed it. He said, "That was so fast. Can I do it again?" I said, "Well, no. Once is enough. We're, we, we, you kept." And then he got the confirmation at the end. Thank you for doing the census. And he said, "I'm going to print this out. I'm going to put my picture on it, make some copies, and when we can go out again, I'm going to get some frames and give it to all my grandkids so they can remember me." Well, and I thought that was great. I couldn't get him. He's 92 doing it online. He said, that was so fast. He said, why? You guys, we don't shouldn't send anybody any paper. Make them all go online. <laughs> well, 
Well, listen, I, I have been encouraging people and the Observer's been encouraging people for weeks now. And I appreciate you calling in to just get one more voice to tell people. I will let people know about this and continue to let people know about this. And maybe we'll follow up a little later in the year if our, and see how high we can get our numbers. Maybe South Carolina, maybe we can be the top county in South Carolina and we can talk about that. I appreciate you checking in with me, though. The last time I looked, I think it was fifth in the state. So that's pretty good, but we can oh, move okay. up a little. That's, that's excellent. You guys are probably pretty high in the nation as well. Well, that's great. Well, again, thanks for taking time out to call, and I'll check back with you later in the year, and we can maybe do an update on how the census is looking. Well, that's it for this week's Anderson Reserver podcast, news from people you trust. Join me here next week for some more interesting economic news, updates on what's going on in the county in the month of June, interviews with candidates for the June 9th primary, and more. And until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place. Teachers taught me when Since you